Good morning, brothers. Our, uh, our tech team has gotten so amazing that I'm supposed to be able to control the volume on my phone here, uh, and they're remotely recording us. That's how impressive things have gotten around here. Um, does it sound good back there? All right, great. Great, great, great. I'd love for you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I've really been wrestling over the last several weeks uh, thinking about uh, which direction I was going to go this morning, uh, and this is why originally when Barton and I had put together the series, uh, we, had, we had labeled this week to be on courage, and then I noticed that there wasn't anything that we had in our, our series on prayer, and so I wrestled this week, or excuse me, the last several weeks, frankly, with the issue of, okay, should, I, should, we, should we study together this morning courage, or should we study uh, prayer? What does it mean to be men of God in regards to courage? What does it mean to be men of God in regards to prayer? And this is why I was wrestling with this, because as you all would agree with me, we really are desperate for men to be courageous. I think more and more we are, we are just lacking courage among men to just live lives of, of integrity, of, of, of a purpose, of intention, and being able to do that in the face of fear. So we need courageous men. And I thought, man, I, I know we need to be encouraged in that. At the same time, we're going to struggle to be God's men if we don't develop robust prayer lives, like, which is not going to happen. Um, and so back and forth, I was going with this. And then Sunday, it hit me as I was uh, thinking over this, praying over this, that these two go together. Courage and prayer have to go. When you look at Scripture, they have to go together. So this is why we're turning to one of my favorite passages in, in all of Scripture, Second uh, Chronicles uh, chapter 20. Just to give you some uh, uh, context for what we're looking at this morning, in First and Second Chronicles, we're seeing a, an overview of the history of the kings of Israel uh, and then the divided kingdom. So starting with, with uh, Saul and David and, and going to Solomon and then the division of the kingdom. Remember that the, Israel was the, the northern kingdom, Judah was the southern kingdom. And the book of, books of First and Second Chronicles were written uh, between 520 and 400 B.C. So that would have been after uh, the exile. Um, so after they have returned from the exile back to Jerusalem, back to Judah. And while some have thought that maybe Ezra is the author of First and Second Chronicles, the reality is um, that we don't really know. And so often you hear people talk about the, the author as being the, the chronicler. And specifically here in, in chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles, but really starting back in chapter 17, so 17 through 20, you have the history of King Jehoshaphat. And King Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah. Okay, so the divided kingdom again, northern part was Israel, southern part Judah. And he was the fourth king of Judah. And we see in chapter 17 through 20, his reign lasted uh, about 23 years from 872 B.C. to 849 B.C. And I want you to notice some things before we read chapter 20. Look at verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 3. Chapter 17, verse 3. Notice it says, The Lord was with Jehoshaphat, 
because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. And so we see there that Jehoshaphat was a king who walked in the ways of the Lord. That's what it means that he walked in the ways of David. And then notice what it says in verse 6 of chapter 17. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. Okay, all right, great. We're looking at courage this morning. Here's a guy who is described in Scripture as a guy who had a courageous heart. His heart was courageous in the way of the Lord. And then look also at chapter 18, uh, verse 4. And you, if we read the whole thing, you'd see this. It says in verse 4 of chapter 18, And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. And you'll see that over and over again as you read about this king, that he was quick to pray. So he was called the guy who had a courageous heart, and he was quick to pray. Um, now let me say this, though. He wasn't a perfect guy. <laughs> uh, as you read through um, 2 Chronicles, uh, you'll see, first of all, that he made an alliance with King Ahab of the northern kingdom, and he probably shouldn't have done that. Um, but there was a certain sense in which uh, he was an imperfect follower of Jesus, just like the rest of us are. And if you look at the very end of chapter 20, which we're not going to look at, you're going to see there that uh, at the end of his life, he made some decisions um, that weren't following with some of these other things that were said about him. It's one of the things I love about Scripture, brothers, that it just gives us the real stuff. We're t talking about real men. So when we we're going to read this chapter chapter 20, we're not reading about some, some Bible guy who had it all together and we can't attain that. We're reading about a real man, someone who really struggled, didn't have everything together, but at the same time had this courage and this connection through prayer, which I think is going to help us this morning. So begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 20 of Second Chronicles. Follow along with me. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came up against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon, Tamar, and that is En Gedi. So they were coming, the great sea would have been the Dead Sea. They were coming from the, uh, the east, and we're going to cross the southern part of the Dead Sea. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord and all the cities of Judah came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to them forever as to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And have they not lived in it and built for you a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, uh, the judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house, before you, for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our afflictions and you will hear us and save. Now behold, the men of Amnon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? 
For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jehiel, son of Mataniah, a Levite in the house of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow you will go down with, against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley, at the east of the wilderness of Jerul. And you will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of our Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them. The Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all, the Ju- all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohites and the, Ko- and the Korites stood to praise the Lord and, God, and the God of Israel with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and they went to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And they went before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord, praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we sit here before you this morning under your word, we would ask, Heavenly Father, that you would speak to us, that you would open up your word to us so that we can understand what you have for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we we want to be led by you. We want to understand what it means to have courage. So please, Heavenly Father, please show us what you want to say to us this morning. We ask this all in Jesus' name and all God's men said, Amen. Amen. Like I said, this is one of my favorite passages in in all of Scripture. And uh, sorry, I'm making sure this sound thing is going here. Um, Favorite passages in all of Scripture. And what I want us to see this morning is those four things that surround courage. And I want us to grasp this because we need to be men of courage, but we need to understand that courage is connected to prayer. First of all, I want us to see that need for courage that appears in verses 1 through 4. Why did Jehoshaphat need courage? The answer is in verse 3. I love it. It just says, he was afraid. (laughs) The reason he needed courage is because he was afraid. He didn't automatically start with a, as a guy that's like, hey, I got it together. I know, I know what's going on. 
No, as you've heard probably quoted, uh, some people attribute the quote to Roosevelt, some people attribute the quote to Mandela, probably all of the above and some extra men are in there as well who say that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's what you do in the face of fear that, is a, that delivers courage. So what did Jehoshaphat do with this fear? Look what it says in verse 3. I love the way it says that. He was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. So when he faced fear, his response was, I got to go to the Lord. The need for courage came from the fact that he felt weak, that he felt afraid, that as Barton talked about a few weeks ago, he needed to, he needed to understand his, his own dependence. So we see there the need for courage. Next, I want us to see in verses 5 through 12, the source of courage. So Jehoshaphat needs courage because he's terrified. And what does he do? He goes to the Lord and he goes in the Lord in prayer. And this construction of prayer that we're going to see here, which is just fascinating to me, this construction of prayer that's there is very similar to prayers that you see by other people in Scripture. So if you go to Exodus 32 through 34, and I thought about going there for a while, I studied that for a while, you see four prayers of Moses in there, and you see that same kind of construction that we're going to see here by Jehoshaphat. Or if you go, you can go to the New Testament. You can look at Mary's Magnificat. Her response in regards to prayer when the, when the um, angel comes to her, it's almost the same exact construction. Or if you look in the New Testament, one of my favorite prayers takes place early in the book of Acts uh, as start of the church and they're facing persecution and and they don't know what to do what do we do we're 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 in, we're in trouble the church is uh, going to be pressed against how do we respond they go to the Lord in prayer and it's almost constructed exactly like this prayer that Jehoshaphat has here and and here's what we see in those prayers first of all in verse six Jehoshaphat appeals to the sovereignty of God and you'll see that in the book of Psalms as well Uh, This prayer is designed like Psalm 44 is an example of that. Appealing to the fact that God is in complete control. And so he starts out his prayer saying, Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms and all the nations? Again, that prayer in the book of Acts, they start in the face of persecution saying, God, you're the one in control. Now part of it's praising God, but part of it's reminding us as men of the reality when we face fear. So when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel helpless, the starting point as we go to the Lord is to remind ourselves, even as we praise God for his sovereignty, that he is in absolute control. And here Jehoshaphat appeals to the sovereignty of God. And then notice in verses 7 through 9 that he appeals to the promises of God. As he he begins to speak, he said, did not, look at verse 7, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And then he, so he appeals first of all to the promise that Abraham was given, the covenant promise. And then he goes on to talk about, this is what you told Moses would happen in Joshua when we came into the land, the promise that you gave to Moses. And then you also gave a promise to David in regards to these things. And so he's going through uh, in his prayer and saying, God, you, he's appealing to his scripture. God, you have, you have said these things. This is your word. I want to appeal to your word. And so as he does that, he's praying actually the scriptures that he knows. 
right? He would have had the Pentateuch, Jehoshaphat would have had, the first five books of, of the Old Testament, and he's appealing to those scriptures. Such an important thing for us when we pray. A lot of times we're not praying, are, are we, until we're, we're facing kind of a panic situation like Jehoshaphat. But then it seems like that our, our words or our wondering of what God will do seems to, to just be this open, like, well, I hope God does this. Or I wonder if it's okay to pray this. And what's clear from the prayers of these men and the prayers here of Jehoshaphat is that what needs to inform our prayer brothers is God's word. And so we need to know it. I thought a lot about that this week, and I'm just going to say this. I told my wife this morning as I was leaving the house, I said, I love and have loved Second Chronicles 20 forever. But I need to thank those men this morning that you all gave me opportunity to study this in deep ways that I haven't studied it before. And I appreciate that relationship that we have. Like your accountability and knowing I needed to know these things put me in a place where I enjoyed the richness of deep study in 2 Chronicles 20 and the Holy Spirit showing me things that I hadn't thought of before that impacted my own life. And so the fact that you all are here wanting to study God's word and give yourself to a verse-by-verse study of God's word is such a blessing to my own spiritual life. But more than that, brothers, <laughs> that all of us are here knowing these words Hearing Barton last week and hearing uh, uh, the messages that come week after week and having our Bibles open and looking at these things, it's filling us up and reminding us of the promises of God so that when we go to prayer, when we're feeling afraid, when we're overwhelmed, we can appeal to real things, not hopeful wishes. And isn't it wonderful to be able to, when you go to prayer, to just pray the words of God. So when times when we've looked at the book of Psalms together, sometimes when we're angry, we're hurt, we're upset, we're overwhelmed, um, and we, and we want to say some things to God because we're so angry and upset, but we think maybe I shouldn't say those things to God. And yet, isn't it great to see in the book of Psalms what David said to God and be able to go, you know what, I'm just going to pray that prayer. I'm just going to pray the prayer that says in Psalm 13, how long, O oh Lord, are you going to forget me forever? Do I have to counsel myself? Again, I, I would probably be afraid to pray that prayer, except I'm like, well, it's in the Bible, so I think I'm, I can pray it. <laughs> I'm going to go for it. And here we see clearly, as we do in other places in Scripture, that as Jehoshaphat prays, he appeals to the promises of God. He knows God's word, and he moves in that. Then notice this too in verses 10 through 12, that in his prayer he appeals to the glory of God. Appeals to the glory of God. This is, this, is, this is Jehoshaphat saying, God, your reputation's on the line. <laughs> God, I want you to get a name for yourself. Um, I, I want you to show yourself strong in this. I, notice what it says. I, I had never thought of this before, but look at, look at, uh, look at verse 10. It says, and now behold, the men of Amnon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you, God, would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt. So they, they didn't invade on the, on the side of the, uh, the east side of the Dead Sea. 
Now they're in, they, but they invaded in the west. So they left these nations there. And Jehoshaphat said, God, you wouldn't let us invade over there. And then verse 11, behold, now they reward us for not driving them out by coming to drive us out and drive out your possession. Hey, God, you told us not to, to take them out. Now they're coming to take you out in our possessions. Here's what I never thought before, which is maybe obvious to some of you. Um, God knew that. God knew hundreds of years ago uh, why he didn't drive them out. God knew this moment was coming. God knew the moment was going to come when, when the, the hordes, as it says, were going to come up against his, his nation, his people. God knew that Jehoshaphat, the king, would be terrified. God knew all of that. So what was he doing? He is in this moment making a name for himself. It's, it's basically God set him up. <laughs> God set Jehoshaphat up for this moment. I know many of you have gone through some, some pretty difficult things in your lives um, where you've had to really rely on the Lord in ways that you, mostly because you were like Jehoshaphat, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. Verse 12, I don't know what to do, God, but our eyes are on you. For me, the most recent and most difficult thing in my life was when my wife was, uh, was diagnosed with cancer in, uh, in 2019, the fall of 2019. And there was a Saturday morning. Um, I mean, I felt like I kind of, you know, I went into guy mode, right? So once that diagnosis happened and I knew we were going to go through chemo and, you know, I'm just arranging doctors and trying to set up, the, you know, I'm just everything just like warrior mode, right? And then I woke up on a Saturday morning about three weeks into it and uh, it's about 4 a.m. And brothers, I was in a complete panic. And all I could think of was, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I don't, have, I don't have enough brain power for this. I don't have enough. I don't have the right emotions for this. I don't have enough money for this. I don't have enough. I, I just kept thinking, I'm not enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I felt exactly like Jehoshaphat does in verse 12. I'm powerless against this great horde. And I don't know what to do. During that season, the Lord led me and Lynn to a particular psalm that kind of became the theme through the whole experience, um, which is about a, a nine-month marathon. It was Psalm 34. And Psalm 34 has in verse 3 this amazing phrase. It says, O come magnify the Lord with me. Come magnify the Lord with me. Brothers, that's what's happening in verse 12. Jehoshaphat is saying, I don't know what to do. I am powerless, but my eyes are on you. And God has set Jehoshaphat up to magnify the Lord, to give him glory, to show him not Jehoshaphat, or even this nation, to be the one that is the strength. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. For your power, Lord, is made perfect in my weakness. Remember, Paul appeals to God and says, God, why won't you take this away, this thorn in the flesh? Why won't you take it away? 
He says, I prayed several times for the Lord to take it away. And the Lord told me, Paul said, I'm not taking it away. Because my power is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul goes on, and therefore I will boast all the more in my weaknesses to show that God is strong. I will, I will magnify the Lord. And here, Jehoshaphat is led to this moment as he appeals to the glory of God. God is saying, oh, I'm going to get that glory. And, and as we're going to see next, God answers this prayer. So in verses 13 through uh, 19, we see the reason for courage. The reason for courage. The reason that Jehoshaphat ends up having courage is that the Lord answers his prayer. And it's amazing what happens here. It's, it's uh, you know, b- before the Holy Spirit, before having Bibles, I mean, he had the Pentateuch, but he doesn't have as much as we have. But look what happens. It's exactly what happens to us when we go to the Lord for courage and we go to the Lord in prayer. First of all, you see God's work. Two things that God does there in verses 14 and 15. The first thing he does is that his spirit, the Holy Spirit, brings God's word to Jehoshaphat and to the people. Look what it says in verse 14. And the spirit of the Lord, notice it's capitalized, so that's the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah. So they didn't, they only had the first five books of the uh, uh, Old Testament, they didn't, they, and they had the book of Psalms, but they didn't, have, um, they didn't have all that we have. So God in his graciousness and his mercy has the spirit of the Lord come upon Jehaziel, and Jehaziel is going to speak this word. And the word that he speaks is just awesome. <laughs> Verse 15, and he said, Listen, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. God's work is two things. First, to deliver his word through his Holy Spirit. Secondly, to remind us that the battle is the Lord's and not ours. I'm telling you, brothers, in the midst of in the midst of that cancer journey uh, with my wife, every day it was very clear, this battle is the Lord's and not ours. This, this is really up to the Lord. When you're looking at your kids or your grandkids who maybe aren't walking with the Lord, most of us in here are old enough to re- realize the battle is the Lord's and not ours. We've all, some of us have tried to do that battle. We've recognized We're not up to it. The battle has got to be the Lord's and not ours. You think about the need that we have in our churches, in in our city, for revival, for the Holy Spirit to sweep into people's lives. We recognize, don't we, that the battle is the Lord's and not ours. When you think of that dear family member or that dear friend or that parent, that you've been praying for, that they would come to know Jesus. you shared the gospel with them so many times. You recognize the battle is the Lord's and not ours. It's got to be Him. That's God's work. God's work is this, to bring His word through His Spirit to us. That's what happens. And then for Him to do the battle. So what is, that's God's work. What is 
What is our work that we see here? Well, there is a work that God gives Jehoshaphat uh, in this moment and God's people. Um, three things, he says. He says, first of all, don't be afraid. <laughs> then he says, take your position. And then he says, watch the Lord's deliverance. Don't be afraid. Take the Lord's position. Watch the Lord's deliverance. There was this moment um, on a mission trip, I think I might have shared this years ago, um, where uh, this is back when I was doing youth ministry. We were in, in, in going to Cusco, Peru, and we had to go through Lima, Peru. Um, so Cusco is this small town. Lima is like 9 million people. On the way back, we were supposed to fly into Cusco uh, in the morning, but our flight, or flying to Lima in the morning, but our flight back to the United States wasn't going to be that night. And we were going to have some missionaries meet us um, who were going to, at the airport and kind of take our, our bags to this one hotel where we had to drop the kids' bags off. And then we're going to go around and see Lima. And then we'd go back and pick up our bags and to go back to the airport, fly out that night. <laughs> On the way to the airport in Cusco, the missionaries that we had been with for two weeks said, Oh, by the way, Todd, um, that missionary couple that was going to take you around, they're, they're, um, they went back to the States. They had to go back to the States. And it, I mean, we're driving to the airport. And uh, <laughs> I said, Oh, okay. Okay, John. He said, But don't, don't worry. This is, what, this is all you need to do, Todd. Um, listen, the hotel's already booked for you to drop your stuff off. Listen, when you get to the airport, uh, you and Andy just, just find um, uh, you know, a, a, a taxi driver for your group. Um, but listen, this is, this is important. Uh, uh, you, you don't want to get into cars. Okay? You just want to find some taxi drivers who have vans so you can all pile in together with a bunch of you um, and, then, and then just tell them to take you to the airport and uh, take you to the hotel. I said, well, John, why, why don't I get into a car? Like, what, why not cars? He's like, well, sometimes... Sometimes they see people like you and they're going to take, you know, a couple of you, two or three of you into a car and then they're just going to drive into their own neighborhood uh, and then in their own neighborhood they're going to stop the car, uh, they're going to beat you up and take your stuff. So you don't want to get into cars. And I'm just, again, I'm like, John, I, what? what? Where's it? Can we get a missionary couple? I don't, you know. He's, oh, it's going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You know, just get a taxi driver so we get, we get I'm, it, was the, it was the most anxiety-filled flight from Cusco to Lima. I get to Lima, I'm like, I don't, we get out of there. I don't, I don't by the way, I don't speak any uh, Spanish of any great ability. I, I grew up speaking French, and there's not a lot of people that speak French, and most people don't even like the French, so it's not been a useful, it's not been a useful language for me. I wish I'd taken Spanish. We get there, I'd, and I, I walk out to the, where the taxi, you know, and we're instantly mobbed by just Tons of taxi drivers just get, come. We got you. We'll take it. And they speak broken English. And I'm like, ah, and I don't speak Spanish. And um, in that moment, I look at my coworker, Andy, and I'm like, let's just, I'm just going to, let's just, I, I said, brother, just, let's just pray. I don't know what else to do. Um, he's like, how are you going to choose one? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going to choose one. I kept saying, do you have vans? Do you have vans? Finally, one of them said, oh, I have vans. Come with me. I have vans. I'm like, great. Let's. This is the one, Andy. This is who God has led us to. And so we walk out with our group, and the guy goes, okay, okay, uh, um, uh, most of your group go in that van right there, and then, and then some of you come with me in this car. <laughs> I, was, 
was like, okay. I mean, we're now down in the parking lot. Like, we're far away from the airport. I'm like, Andy looks at me like, I'm like, okay, here's the deal. Uh, uh, Andy, you come with me, and you, so you uh, no, I said, Andy, you take the, you're going to take all the girls in the van, get to, you know, da, da, da. He said, what are you going to do? And I said, <laughs> I looked at the guys, um, and uh, I'm like, I got to take three guys with me because they're not going to all fit in the van. And this is how I picked. I remember picking one guy, uh, Noah, he could, I was like, he could actually fight. He actually, he actually played hockey. And, uh, and I'm like, I think he could fight. Um, the other guy, <laughs> the other guy just happened to be, he happened to be like six foot five, right? There's no way he could fight anything. He wasn't a basketball player. He wasn't, he was just six foot five. That's all. That's all that he had going. But I'm like, he looks like, he looks intimidating, you know? So I grabbed him. And then <laughs> I just grabbed some other guy that just looked kind of big, you know, like he, he looks bigger than the other guys, right? And and I told them, I remember circling these guys up, and I said, hey, listen, I think we're going to be fine. But, you know, our missionary told us, don't get in cars. Sometimes they go to neighborhoods. And, you know, I said, so listen, we're just going to pray. And, uh, you know, if we get there, Noah's like, and we're going to fight them, right? And I'm like, probably not, Noah. We're probably just going to give them our stuff and hope we... I didn't know what else to do. So we, we start going. We're following the van on the major highways and, and, and then all of a sudden the van goes like this and we go off on this off ramp. And uh, I'm sitting in the front seat next to the driver. I said, hey, well, why, why aren't we following the van? He's like, oh, I know a shortcut. I look back in the back seat. Noah is like... <laughs> the other two guys are like about to pass out. I mean, they're just like, the blood has gone from their six foot five body and... Um, I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, I started praying. Let me just say this. He just, he just did know a shortcut, and we just made it to the hotel. Nothing bad happened. In that moment, feeling powerless, there really was this sense in which what courage meant was I just had to pray. I had to pray. I had to trust the Lord. I had to not be afraid. I had to take my position, and I had to watch the deliverance of God. I had to do exactly what Jehoshaphat did. So there is a work for us to do, but the work for us is not to figure out things beyond what God has for us, but to trust God in those moments once we have prayed. And these, these words, don't be afraid, take your position, watch the Lord's deliverance. Brothers, I did that. That's what Lynn and I did in, in the, the, the journey with cancer. We're just like, we're going to seek the Lord and we're going to try, and, and he's telling us not to be afraid, so we just... We need to seek the Lord. I, I'm afraid, so I'm going to seek his face. Take our position. We're just going to go, we're going to, go to the appointments and do, do the next thing. Just do the next thing. We're going to wait for the deliverance of the Lord. It's the exact words that the people of Israel were given when they were on the edge of the Red Sea in Exodus 14. Exact same things. Don't be afraid. Stand your ground and watch the deliverance of God. Watch what he does. And then lastly, brothers, we see this display of courage. So out of fear, Jehoshaphat has needed courage. He has gone to the Lord as the source of courage and given this prayer. Now he has, in the answer from the Lord, a reason for courage because God has said to him, the battle's not yours. Watch. Watch what happens. Watch what I do. And then as a result of that, 
Jehoshaphat can now act, and he does two things. First of all, he calls the people to faith. He calls himself to faith. He calls the people to faith. He says there, believe, believe this. Brothers, that's courage, to be terrified, to seek the Lord, to get his answer, and then to step out and say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to believe God's word in this. I'm going I'm to do exactly what he's told us to put our stuff on, our, 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 our armor on. We're not going to fight. We're just going to go down and watch. And, and we can believe God. So let's go do exactly what he said. And then, secondly, he calls them to praise. Probably the, the, one of the favorite psalms of the Old Testament people at this time was Psalm 136. And that's where this phrase in, uh, there in verse 21 comes from. Give thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. Remember that when you see in your ESV Bibles the word steadfast love, that's the Hebrew word hesed. And it means his covenant-keeping love. Give thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love, his hesed endures forever. And they go out and they see God just watch them destroy each other. And if you look at verse 24, which I didn't read, it says, When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked towards the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. God said, I'm going to get a name for myself. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that I'm the one with power. Let me get real practical in the last few minutes that we have, brothers. And this isn't in your notes, but I've been thinking about it. When we think about what it means to be men of God, as we're trying to think through what, is it, what does it mean for us to step into our design as men. And again, a lot of things in Scripture are applied to both men and women, but I don't think there's any men, women in this room, so I'm just speaking to us as men. When we, when we read God's Word, we study it, we look at a passage like 2 Chronicles chapter 20, there's two very practical things that I think come out to us. I think number one is this. We have got to develop and grow our prayer lives, brothers. We've got to. Now, some of you, some of you are actually my mentors in this. Some of you in this room have taught me. But if, if we don't have, if you don't have a regular plan and rhythm of prayer, an active strategy, We've got to develop it. See, what happened here to Jehoshaphat, his response here is not the result of, oh, I'm afraid, so I got this prayer. No, everything that happens that Jehoshaphat does here is too well-crafted to have just arisen in a moment of panic. And we can see, as we already pointed out, and if you read chapters, if you read chapters 17, 18, and 19, what you're going to see is that Jehoshaphat had developed a rhythm of prayer in his life. So when this moment came, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to pull resources out of nowhere. His response in this moment was just a response that he had developed over his life. And I, brothers, I love, with, I love you and I plead with you to do this. Years ago when I was 
think I was 31 or 32 years old, I came to the reality, and I was in ministry, and I came to the, uh, the conviction and I guess the honest confession that my prayer life was pathetic. Oh, I prayed, but I wasn't developing a prayer life. Part of my problem was I didn't like early mornings, and I usually in the afternoons or in the evenings would fall asleep while praying or just not do very well. And I thought, you know, Todd, it's time for you to, to deal with this. And I thought, you know, it's going to have to happen in the morning. It's the first time I ever bought a, a programmed coffee maker. Remember, that was my first step. Step one, buy a programmed coffee maker. That was it. That was literally what happened. Step two, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to get up at that time. It was 5.30 a.m. I'm going to get up at 5.30 a.m. with my coffee, right? And all you have to do, Todd, for a month is get your coffee, your Bible, and get to the, the, the chair in the family room. Just That's all. Just do that for a month. You get there, you succeed, right? And then out of that grew something that, brothers, I don't even know how to do life anymore when I don't have that time. I really don't. There's been too, too many hard things faced in my life for me to get there. I brought this. I make a new one every year. It's my prayer notebook. It's not because I'm more spiritual that I have a prayer notebook. Honestly, it's because I have prayer ADHD. That's why I have this notebook. If I didn't have this notebook, my prayer life would be all over the place. I wouldn't even know what to pray. Um, or I wouldn't do a very good job of it. Or I'd be redundant. Or when I told you, hey, I'm praying for you, I'd be lying because I actually don't remember to pray for you the next time if I didn't have this. What I've done is I've taken this in the first 30 pages. I just do, I just number them the days of the month, right? So uh, today, what's today? The 10th. So on the 10th, just have these things. I have these names and things of people to pray for. My wife and my kids appear every day on these, every day of the month. Uh, my extended family appears once a week. Um, people that I'm involved with shepherding appear somewhere here during the month. And again, this isn't because I'm more spiritual, brothers. It's because I'm pathetic and I need the structure or I won't do it. And then in the back, write out, I write out some of my prayers every day. You'll notice that the entries aren't very long. My wife's, you know, she, she goes through like, you know, 15 journals in one year. And it's like they're big, this big and this is all I got. <laughs> but the reason I do this is one, it helps me develop my words to the Lord. It's also been amazing, and I've done this from time to time because now I've been doing this for about 20 years. I go back and I pull those off the shelf and I look and I remember how God met us when I was panicked. So I can go pull, I can go pull that prayer journal from October 2019 and I can read what I wrote that day that I was panicked and didn't know what to do. And I can read it now and go, the Lord, the Lord fought the battle. I share all this with you again. Maybe it's different for you. Maybe it needs to look different for you. But I'm just saying, brothers, get practical. <laughs> get practical about who you are. Get practical about what you need. That's all that this is. Again, I, this isn't me being more spiritual. If anything, it's me being weak. And I got to have something. But if we're going to be men of God, we have got to be men of prayer. Sandy Wilson, who is a mentor to a lot of us and who, uh, frankly, the, the legacy of Amen belongs ultimately to him. 20, 
20-some years uh, teaching and, and, and leading us in this. I remember um, just about a year ago when he was doing this video introduction for the church in Peoria, which he is now um, doing interim work for. And I was there helping him with that. And uh, the question was asked him on the video, uh, man, why aren't you retired? Why are you doing this interim work? Why, you know, why, why you keep going at it um, at 70 plus going into churches and do this? And I remember his answer. His answer was twofold. I remember one, he said, well, as long as the Lord gives me strength to do stuff, physical strength to do stuff, I'm going to keep doing stuff. And then he said this, because there will come a time when the Lord's work for me will be limited to prayer. Never forget that. Because I thought of that as a positive thing, not a negative thing. And that's, I think, the way Sandy was thinking. There'll be a time maybe where my physical body can't even get me out of the chair, where my eyes can't see the words on the page of Scripture, where my ears can't even hear a sermon on video. But I'll be able to pray. And you'll be able to pray. And when I get to that point, I want to have developed and worked hard to be a man of prayer. Because I don't, I don't want to quit doing the Lord's work until he takes me home. Second thing, and then we'll be done. First thing, we've got to develop our prayer lives. Second thing is, and you guys are already doing this, but it's knowing God's word. Keep doing this. You know, as we get into the spring, um, sometimes amen starts to, to, to dwindle in attendance. Don't let that happen. I commend you men, you men being here this morning, young and old, for you to be here committed to God's word on a, and to really study. Don't give that up. Don't get, it doesn't have to be here. I like that it's here because you encourage me. But don't give that up. And for those of you men who've been here for 20 how many years, praise the Lord for your example. But we got to be men of the word because what we saw by Jehoshaphat is he clearly knew God's word. His prayer life was formed by God's word. You can't form your prayer life without God's word. You can't know the answers that God's given you to prayer without God's word. And so we've got to be men of the word. And again, I commend you for that. If we are men who know God's word and we are men who are developing our prayer lives, we are going to be courageous men. We're going to do, do crazy, daring things. You're going to attempt things for God. <laughs> As one pastor says, you're going to attempt things for God that are doomed to fail unless God is in them. <laughs> Crazy stuff. You're going to attempt things for God that are doomed to fail unless God is in them. That's how courageous you will be. If you are a man of the word and you have a growing, robust, structured, intentional prayer life, your courage in the face of fear will really know no bounds. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Again, Lord, thank you for these brothers who are an incredible blessing to me. And Lord, what a gift. What a gift that, that their encouragement and accountability would lead me to study so deeply a passage of Scripture that I have looked at for years 
and yet didn't see things that you brought forth through your spirit. Lord, for each of us, we need to seal these things to our, our hearts and our minds. And Father, there's some in here today who are facing things that are, that are terrifying. And they feel powerless. Uh, Lord, we appeal to your sovereignty. We appeal to your promises. We appeal to your glory. Lord, make a name for yourself. Or as it says in Psalm 34, let us magnify you. So Father, in their fear, give them the courage to magnify you. Lord, we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen.